Well, hello and welcome to episode number 434 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's pack show, Ryanair have a moan about delays, a rogue curtain delays a BA flight and an Airbus A321 has fun with a tug. In the military news this week, Armando talks about the Warbird mid-air collision in Dallas this past week. And joining me this week, as always, across the fields in the glorious, sprawling Buckinghamshire countryside, and I hope it's uh, not as uh, wet as it has been here, it's Neville Barnes. Yes, hello, I am back. Having had a week in the flat country that we call the Netherlands, and uh, very nice it was too. Got a bit wet yesterday, mind you, uh, walking, walking from one of the universities back to the, the bus station. But um, no, a very hectic week, a bit of Schiphol Airport business, which was a bit challenging at times. I think a top tip from uh, Masher, actually, is that <laughs> I should be using Rotterdam Airport in future because it's smaller and uh, things move a bit quicker, I think. I would say so. Uh, so I'm going to do that for my next visit. But uh, no, all well, mate. Thank you very much. Good. What, what was the uh, equipment of uh, of choice uh, for this? Oh, this uh, three twenty in both directions. Uh, very full flight as well. And in fact, yesterday they were bumping some people off the flight because they'd oversold it. So they bumped, uh, I think, six people off yesterday's return sector back to. Um, Heathrow and uh, four of them accepted it with good grace and two didn't <laughs> um, I don't know what I mean is, is, this never, a, is this a similar thing to what we witnessed in Jersey Nev not quite slightly worse in in some respects but I mean there was another flight two hours later now I presume the airline can see if they've got connecting flights or whether they're just going straight back to London but um, yeah there was a bit of strop going on uh, which we don't like to see um, but um, no that was all okay but um, it took forever to board I think it must have taken over an hour to board the aircraft uh, uh, as if they hadn't done it before so anyway uh, ouch but well, there you go but there you go the hazards of flying there we go so uh, Armando is not with us this week unfortunately Armando couldn't make the show uh, but he has got a little bit of video that he sent in for us uh, uh, to play out in just a moment uh, plus military news which he's also uh, got for us this week as well uh, and uh, matt as you can probably tell as i'm here in the ptuk master suite studio matt is uh, currently doing a, a live outside broadcast in our glorious town of bungie here in suffolk so uh, if you uh, if you feel like asking your smart device or your smart player smart speaker to say uh, play park radio disc you'll be able to hear maybe hear matt broadcasting a bit uh, in our town here this evening i think they're having an 80s night i think in there uh, but we have got a super sub he's joining us back again he's not been on the show for quite a while but we managed to drag him away from all his uh, family of a320s uh, which he flies uh, very regularly indeed so welcome back onto the show it's uh, from the a320 podcast it's matt welcome back matt hi everyone uh, hi nev hi carlos thanks for having us back on yeah it's been too long hasn't it i've uh, been listening out but missing you all so here i am so I'm guessing, obviously, Nev just said there 
um, Matt, that things are, are, rang, are racking up, I should say, or racking up with uh, passengers getting back on board BA flights. I'm guessing with the airline that you work for, are you seeing packed seats again? Yeah, definitely. Uh, pretty much all summer, actually. I think every flight I've done has pretty much been full, yeah, or oversold, so it's been busy, yeah. Oh, excellent. Any nice destinations lately? I mean, have you been uh, been to the, the the best island in uh, in Europe? Obviously, Malta. Uh, no, I haven't. The base <laughs> where I'm based, we don't do Malta, unfortunately. Oh. But I have been there in the past. Uh, what did I do last? I went to the Canary Islands. I went to Gran Canaria last week. Uh, and similarly to Nev, I've been travelling around a bit myself in my uh, spare time. Did a couple of nights in Berlin last week. And very similar story to Nev headed out on an A320 from Heathrow. So, yeah, very interesting. First time I've been through the new Berlin airport and their new terminal. Oh, yes, finally, it's open, isn't it? Yeah, gosh. It's... Yeah. Took them a and, while, didn't uh, it? Yeah, and I got to sit at the front. I was in row three, I think. I got a very, good. very kind upgrade, so... Uh, they're always the best uh, business class flights, aren't they? The ones that cost the same as economy. Definitely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're all too few and far between, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But uh, no, if you've got someone in the right place that can help you, definitely a good yeah. place. Yeah, that's good, always handy. <laughs> so we've got uh, a piece of video to play, haven't we, Nev? If you want to uh, do the introdu introduction, introductions, I shall uh, get this ready. Uh, yes, um, we're going to. Is Armando going to speak to us next? Um, he is. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's see what he's got to say for himself this week. Hey everybody, greetings from uh, uh, the flight levels. Uh, contractually, Nev is on the show today, so I cannot be on the show. No, I'm just kidding about that. You guys do know we're always kidding about that. Anyways, uh, sorry, I, I actually can't be on the show. Uh, this is what I'll be doing all weekend long. Today, I'm in the Pilatus. Flying from uh, Charlotte up to New York, and then back. Single pilot, empty airplane. It's pretty nice to just get an airplane to yourself. Tomorrow I'll be back in the jet, in the Hawker. Be flying that all weekend long, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Four days in a row is pretty much about as much as I work. Unfortunately, you know, as much as I ask for Fridays off, I they just don't give them to me. But either way, it's, uh, it's uh, good to see everybody. Uh, we got some great stories. I looked at the show notes. We got uh, some great videos to play out today. The guys take great care of you. Uh, and I wish I had internet, but I don't, so I could listen to the show. But anyway, everybody have a great week. And uh, we ho will hopefully catch you next week. Take care. Honestly. Look at him with his <laughs> jacket and his aviator sunglasses. God <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the, the, the guy, the guy, honestly, doesn't slum it, does he? He does not slum it at all. Uh, it's amazing what you can do when you Armand, sit. Yeah, Armando's green screens are so realistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was just going to say, it's amazing what you can do sitting sideways against a green screen. <laughs> oh, oh, my word. Uh, Richard Adams is saying in the chat room, to think most people don't even get to fly different desks, <laughs> let alone, <laughs> let alone right. aircraft. Very yeah. true, Richard, very true. And uh, talking about the chat room, let's have a look at see who's in the chat room this week joining us for the show. We've got Richard Adams, uh, who was in there nice and early uh, this week, as always. Good to see you. Mazus, hello to you, Mazus Karim. Good to see you in there as well. Dirk S, good evening, folks, he says. Hello to you, Dirk. Uh, Bill, 
is in there as well. He's joining us, Nev, from snowy Ottawa. Oh, yes. Uh, Ooh, the nice. uh, snow has arrived in Canada, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so hello to you. Hobby Time. Hello to you as well. Matt C. I don't know who that, that guy is. No. Funny guy. He's Matt C. Uh, Tony S. Hello to you. The lovely Masha as well. Hello, Masha. I uh, hope you haven't had all the rain that we have, Masha, because it's been blooming wet here. Uh, Falk Pel- Pe- Peelman movie? Yes, now that's uh, who, John who Falk. That? Now, you know John, don't you, uh, Carlos? Because yes. we met him on the plane when we were going to the Jersey Air Show. And we're going to have a, a little segment uh, featuring uh, some stuff that John sent me during the week uh, this week. We're going to split it into two parts, actually. We're going to play the second part next week, but we're going to have a quick uh, view of some of the stuff that uh, John sent us uh, this week. So I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Yes, so good evening to you, John. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we've got uh, Armando. Armando has joined us in the chat room. <laughs> he must have got Wi-Fi up there with the uh, PC12. Uh, Tony S, if I don't miss him, I don't miss him now. Don't forget, if you are listening to our Glorious Voices uh, via your podcast download platform, don't forget to check us out on YouTube uh, with the video podcast every Friday at 7 o'clock live. Uh, don't forget, check us out, Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Don't forget, click that subscribe and click that bell icon as well to be notified when either me or Matt is hitting the go live button which was me this week it's quite nice pressing the go live button actually for a change it's quite uh, quite exciting there pushing that button mm. just for a change and uh, yes and join us in the YouTube chat room uh, with all the YouTube family because it is what makes the show is our YouTube chat room every week so uh, I'll tell you what Nev I'm going to get the stuff ready and I'll leave the intro for you to do Yes, so we always start off the show with the commercial military segment. So let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So this first story for this week comes to us from the standard.co.uk and ft.com and it's uh, it's kind of the news I think that a lot of people have been waiting to hear for quite some time and uh, according to reports two Russians and one Ukrainian convicted of shooting down the Malaysian Airlines MH17. A court in the Netherlands has found three men uh, with links to the Russian military guilty of murder for their roles in the downing of the Malaysia Airlines MH17 over eastern Ukraine back in 2014, uh, sentencing them uh, to all life imprisonment for all of them. And one man was acquitted because of a lack of evidence. The 777 jet was heading from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur on July the 17th, 2014, when a Russian Buck surface-to-air missile exploded uh, just off the cockpit. The blast caused the aircraft to crash in eastern Ukraine, killing all 298 passengers and crew on board, including 80 children and 193 Dutch citizens. At the conclusion of the two-and-a-half-year trial on Thursday this week, a panel of Dutch judges in The Hague found the three
three men guilty of murder. The court off, uh, offered uh, ordered the guilty parties to pay 16 million euros in damages to the victims of the next of kin. And uh, one of the men was represented in court by the lawyer, while the other three were tried in absentia. All remain free, raising doubts over whether the trio will serve their sentences in prison. The men are believed to be either in Russia or Ukrainian territories under Moscow's control. And the Financial Times article in the show notes will have plenty more information which we'll put in with the show notes like we do every week on the show. So honestly, guys, it doesn't seem that long ago. I mean, this is back in 2014 when this happened. And I can still remember um, seeing those pictures, that reconstruction, if you remember, they'd done a, a huge reconstruction over a framework mm. of the um, fuselage of the aircraft, which they recovered. But having watched the um, air crash investigation episode on this um, only a few weeks ago, the investigation was was quite a task. So I heard, Nev. Yes, I mean, you can't even... I mean, a normal air in, um, accident investigation under normal you know sort of uh, commercial circumstances is one thing but when you're you've you've got you know potential conflict from um a military situation going on as well which is clearly what has happened here um that's just a whole different takes it to a whole different level isn't it? And, and you know this was 2014 this is you know a long time ago now um terribly sad uh, for all of the victims and their families and friends, but um, I, I haven't got anything constructive to say about this actually, because unfortunately, because they were tried in absentia, um, they all currently remain free, mm. um, and whether they will actually serve their sentences in prison is is open to question. I would imagine, as it says in the article. So, um, yeah, um, I, I, the thing is that whatever justice. Um, is served by the court in The Hague, it will never be enough for for what has happened mm. for, the, for the victims and their families and friends, obviously. How do you feel about this, Matt? Obviously, you're, you're flying around Europe quite a lot. I, I'm guessing, obviously, the air, um, the uh, air airspace above, obviously, the Ukraine is closed to, to traffic, you know, such as yourselves. But um, I, I, I guess this is still kind of something that's in the back of your mind as, as a pilot, a commercial airline pilot. Yeah, certainly. I remember when it actually happened, thinking, you know, that could have been any airliner and how vulnerable we are in that situation you know we don't have any protection against anything like that um and you know it's just horrible for the families involved one of my friends his his partner's dutch and her um brother and sister-in-law and niece were on that flight flying from amsterdam um so yeah it's just awful and as nev said it doesn't really matter what happens in court because nothing's going to bring all those families back so yeah it's just an awful story mm. So moving on to the next story, Matt, you've got this one. And uh, obviously it's, it's a story number two, so it would normally be uh, Matt re reading a Ryanair <laughs> story. But it is a Ryanair story this week, so um, over to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so Ryanair may prolong the 737NG service due to Max delays. So Ryanair Holdings, so if you don't know who Ryanair Holdings are, they're sort of the holding company that own uh, Ryanair, Ryanair UK, Buzz, which is their their Polish part, um, and Malta Air. 
So the Ryanair Holdings as a group is considering prolonging its use of the 737-800 workhorse due to delayed 737-8200 deliveries, which is what Ryanair call the MAX. Chief Executive Michael O'Leary uh, gave this information during the group's half-yearly earnings call. I won't do the accent. We're growing faster than we originally thought we would at this time because we're not retiring older aircraft. In fact, one of the aircraft we returned off an operating lease two years ago has now been offered back to us at a very significant discount. And we will opportunistically add Boeing 737 NGs in 1s and 2s where there's a financial incentive to do so. Uh, the CH Aviation Fleet's advanced module shows that the LLCC owns the entire fleet of one 737 700, 409 737-800s and 78-737-800s. Uh, operated across its four AOCs, the one that I mentioned. However, the 29 A320s operated by Lauda Europe are all leased. O'Leary stressed that the MAX 200 delivery delays were hampering the LCC's ambitious post-COVID growth plans. The group was due to take a further 21 of the type by the end of 2022, but currently expects only 10 to 12. Ryanair Holdings hopes to receive 46 by the summer 2024 peak and has been assured by Boeing that this schedule will be met, although O'Leary conceded that some of the aircraft could slip to a later date. He emphasised that despite the delays, the airline was not looking to a second-hand market to add more 737s. There isn't much of a second-hand market out there at the moment on 737NGs. A lot of those aircraft have gone back into cargo conversion programmes, etc., O'Leary pointed out. The group currently has 132 maxes on order. O'Leary said the current backlog was sufficient to fuel the airline's growth for the next three years, although it already foresees a need for a new commitment. So more woes for Boeing, unfortunately, in this case. And uh, you see across a lot of airlines, actually, the airline I work for has actually pulled some aircraft back um, after giving them back to the leases. So they're all sprayed back into white and gone to the leases and then realised that we didn't have enough aircraft. So brought them back again and sprayed them up again. So there's Gosh, a lot of this going that's... on in the industry, mainly due to the shortages of aircraft. Everyone's trying to buy them and... Yeah, I've heard from a few people that the second-hand market in airliners, which you don't really think about, do you? But actually, there's a huge market out there. And, you know, the the Far East and particularly China are growing pretty uh, quickly over the last few years, which has absorbed a lot of the second-hand market. So, yeah, there's just not not many out there. Very similar to the second-hand car market in Europe, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh. And uh, I'd forgotten, of course, that... Um um the uh louder europe um operating all uh, airbus fleet as well they've got 29 a320 yes, yeah. um so yeah um i just wonder but then this sort of slippage of you know manufacturing especially coming out of boeing has been going on for a long time now and um, it must be very difficult for the airlines to try and schedule um, flights and, and come up with timetables that are sensible based on deliveries that they don't really know when they're going to get some of this stuff. Also, as well, I suppose, with especially with Ryanair, um, their their aircraft, those those NG, those um, seven three seven eight hundreds, they're not just doing one flight a day. You know, some of these are they're 
Oh, yeah. Four or five rotations a day of these aircraft. They are heavily, mm. heavily used aircraft. Um, oh, yeah. The aircraft will be between, between six and eight flights a day minimum. Yeah. Yeah. High, mi- high mileage. I won't yeah. be buying those on Autotrader. Anyway, Nev, <laughs> you've got the next story. And um... uh, when I saw this story, <laughs> I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I mean,. I'd be interested in the chat room's opinion about this, but here we go. It's on the (laughs) standard.co.uk. British Airways passengers vent anger as faulty curtain grounds flight from Seville to Gatwick. The BA flight from Seville to London was delayed by about an hour and a half due to a fault with the curtain separating business class and economy travellers. Uh, Passengers on the flight from Seville to London Gatwick told the Standard on Monday afternoon they had never heard anything so ridiculous before they eventually took off just over three hours late. Uh, The flight was due to leave Seville at 11.30 local time uh, a.m. but didn't uh, didn't actually take off until 2.45 p.m. BA stressed that the majority of the, the delay was due to foggy conditions, which meant the plane could not land in Seville until around 12.30 local time, more than an hour after it was due to leave, while the issue with the curtain was safety-related. <laughs> Passengers were very angry and suggested cutting off the curtain, one passenger told the standard from on board the grounded plane. Uh, Travellers were told by staff at the boarding gate and later by the crew on board that the plane had a faulty curtain, which was causing delay. It's understood that the fault with the curtain left part of the rail structure loose and could have posed a hazard had the plane taken off before it was secured. Um, Right, well, I've got a lot of questions here. <laughs> now, I do, that last um, paragraph, by the way, um, I suppose had there been a rejected takeoff or something like that, then you don't want stuff loose in the cabin. I, I get all that completely. Um, and there was a lot of uh, foggy weather around at the start of the week. Um, and mm. that was uh, a lot of causing a lot of delays within Europe, certainly within. Um, Belgium and Netherlands and, and other parts of uh, Europe as well. Um, but Matt, what, what, what do you think? If, if on, on, In your operation, if you had a curtain that was faulty, would you just not, not depart? Is, is that one of those things where the cabin is not secure? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few things going on here. I would imagine it's not going to be a three and a half hour delay caused by this. They've said that uh, it was actually delayed by foggy conditions. So what I reckon is that the aircraft's come in delayed and there was some extra delay due to the curtain reading between the lines there. Um, It's probably out of the crew's hands. I mean, if you've got a piece of metal hanging from the the top of the cabin, you can't depart. I mean, they're moaning about running late. Imagine how much they'd be moaning if in the flight it fell off and hit them on the head. Yeah. So it would have been out of the crew's hands, you know, if that part is loose. We have what's called a, an MEL, mm-hmm. which is a minimum equipment list, and we go into it. So if there's something missing, you can go in there and see if it's something you can go without, and that every item will be on there. So, the And the MEL that, is, is a you know very much a binary list, isn't it? It's a pass-fail scenario. There's, there's no negotiation about it. it, it oh, is, absolutely, it yeah. You, you yeah. can't override it. It's yeah. set in stone. So you have to go into this manual, and it might say, you know, there's, there's three fitted, two required on some things or, or whatever. I mean, uh, I don't know if you covered it last week. You had the Jet 2 that um, landed with because it had no toilets on board. Did you read about that one? Mm, yes. So um, that 
if you go into the MEL, that says you can go with no toilets. You, Whether you, can, you go with no toilets is a different story. So you're actually allowed to fly if the toilets aren't functioning on your aircraft. Well, it doesn't affect the operation of the aeroplane. It's not a safety <laughs> issue. It's a, a human welfare issue, isn't it? So Airbus only <laughs> decides what's safe. Uh, it doesn't decide what's uh, practical. So... That that is the captain's responsibility to decide whether it's safe to operate with no toilets. I'll tell you what, I'd love to see a three hour flight go with um with no toilets on board. Does, has this ever happened uh, to you, Matt, by any chance? Well, funny you should say that because uh, <laughs> on my flight last week to Berlin, the uh, curtain between business class and economy was stuck. And uh, the first offset to come out and fix it. Yeah. Oh. Although it wasn't broken, it was just in the wrong place. And the cabin crew weren't allowed to move it or something. For some reason, the divider was three rows into economy or something. So they had a little conflab going on and chaos seemed to be ensuing. And then the first officer came, <laughs> unreleased two clips, slid it along three rows and then went back in the flight deck. So, Have you noticed on the, I don't know if it's just on the Airbus aircraft, but I only ever tend to fly on Airbus aircraft these days because I'm on BA the whole time. But those curtains, uh, they can be really difficult to manoeuvre sometimes and just when you do see the crew uh, manoeuvring the tour if they're not in the right place um, the sounds that these things make that you know it's not not nice is it and it's sort of metal against metal all the time it just feels as though it's um, a bit uh, me mechanically challenged shall we say I wouldn't know Nev unfortunately on a single class cabin <laughs> of course not. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Matt honestly <laughs> actually uh, um uh Falk is saying in the chat room actually duct tape uh, duct tape in the cruise packs if the support is loose. I mean duct tape is a good thing to fix most well, fix anything really. Well I don't go anywhere without my uh, gaffer tape. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Business <laughs> Richard Adams saying business businesses being viewed by the peasants in economy disgraceful. It, it's, a, <laughs> it's an argument, certainly. Yeah. Oh, my word. Honestly, you guys and girls in the chat room, what are you like? Uh, next story, moving on, is uh, coming to us from Reuters.com. And um, do you know, when I read this, uh, Nev, Matt, I thought Airbus were the only company that had... Um, issues with this but obviously not um this is all about boeing wants the uh, us faa to approve a paint fix for the 787 wing peeling so not only airbus have got problems with paint peeling so boeing said on monday this week that operators of its 787 dreamliner jets have experienced paint peeling issues on wing and horizontal stabilizers of services due to ultraviolet radiation exposure and asked US regulators to approve its plan to address the issue. The announcement is the most recent evidence of an exterior problems on the latest carbon composite jets as Europe's Airbus faces a $2 billion London court battle with Qatar Airways over the deteriorating surface of its competing A350s. Airbus argues its generic but harmless problem stemming from the way the paint and carbon interact, while Qatar Airways, which operates both competing types, blames a deeper A350 defect, potentially weakening lightning protection on those jets alone, and both manufacturers insist the lightweight models are safe. Until now, Boeing's interim fix has involved repeat use of speed tape, 
over affected areas that led to some passengers posting photos online of 787 wings with tape and raised concerns. Now Boeing wants, uh, wants the Federal Aviation Administration or the FAA to approve its plan to incorporate a layer of ultraviolet blocking black top coat between the primer and the white top coat. Crisis aircraft are going to weigh about three tonnes more after all this. Uh, even though the use of speed tape has no effect on the safety of the aircraft, the public could perceive an unsafe condition when seeing tape on the wing surfaces, told Boeing, uh, told, Boeing told the FAA. Uh, Boeing said in its filing that the petition will address a fleet significant maintenance issue that is creating a public perception of an unsafe condition as well as creating the potential for significant airplane downtime. Bowen said in its filing the fix was needed in part because the paint peeling issue requires the operators to repaint the wing and horizontal stabilizers at a much higher frequency. And plus it looks a bit naff as well if the paint's peeling off, you know, let's be honest. Uh, the company said in the statement to Reuters it had uh, asked the FEA to approve the proposed change to eliminate paint adhesion issues with some of the 787s and understood the importance of a pristine appearance to the products to both our customers and the flying product. Boeing has also asked the FAA for approval of other design changes including adding cap seals over the nuts of certain 787 wing fasteners because certain combinations could lead to ignition sources in the fuel tank. Oh, not a problem there then. The FAA which said on Monday this week it would carefully review Boeing's petition in August approved the first 787 for delivery since 2021. Um, Boeing halted deliveries back in May 2021 after the FEA raised uh, concerns about proposed inspection methods. And while Boeing says its problems come from UV light, the Airbus Qatar court case focuses on conditions within the multi-layer exterior through both sides have seen very different interpretations. So it's not just Airbus then guys who have got the issue. Um, Boeing have got the issue as well, and uh, Nev's uh, Nev's got his duct tape out. Bring off uh, a foot or so there. I'll tell you what, so don't don't put that on the aircraft, Nev. You'll you'll pull the paint off. It's true. It's the wrong That's, color. As well, it's the it? wrong color as well. Good point. Now, Matt, um, obviously the aircraft, all the aircraft you fly are all all pristine. So I didn't expect you have the issue with the paint <laughs> peeling. Uh, no, I've not. Well, actually, that's not true. I think some of the older ones you do sometimes get a little bit peeling off. But I think it's important to to say this because I see this a lot in newspapers and on online articles of what speed tape is for. So speed tape is not structural. It doesn't hold anything together. What speed tape is for is to smooth airflow over something. So if you was to have um, a crack or something in just a piece or say like the paint, the speed tape is not there to hold anything on. The speed tape is to smooth the airflow over where the paint has peeled off because that would create drag and disturbed airflow. So uh, just to clear that up, that uh, it doesn't act like you would use that. Uh, it's not used like you would use duct tape, uh, first thing. And yeah, I first I've heard of this, actually. I thought it was just on the 350. Um, I assume they had a fix for it because I've not really heard any other airlines other than Qatar complaining about the 350 and obviously there's a lot of 350 operators out there um so yeah not exactly sure what's causing it i remember reading in a previous article some time ago obviously because qatar based where they are they've got very high skin temperatures i would imagine when the aircraft are parked on the gate um and this might be a contributory factor to it perhaps 
There's a lot of comments in the chat room, actually. I'm just reading through about uh, a lot of uh, impressive comments about the speed tape. Um, John Jester. Sorry to interrupt you. With Matt saying what he's just said, that's just spoiled my entire illusion because I've been believing everything that's been in the press regarding speed tape. <laughs> that you could I mean, build, don't build get me wrong. out of speed tape <laughs> yes. don't get me wrong speed tape is sticky you can fix stuff with it but when it's on the exterior of the aircraft it's for airflow yeah yeah go on totally. Matt. A bit, admit it admit it to everyone now you've got a couple of rolls at home you use to sort of you know put the put the kids photos on the fridge yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> always everyone has some comes comes when you get a house doesn't it, it comes with it <laughs> speed yeah fix most things like you said that's the, that's like duct tape though nev fix most things plug yep. a hole all you need it, anything any toolbox all you need duct tape and a hammer what that's it fix anything yeah, exactly <laughs> anyway moving on before um we get a contract with uh speed tape suppliers uh matt you've got uh, you've got the next story and it's all about a couple of aircraft that uh, i think we saw these didn't we nev back in farnborough a few years back we did yes yeah a bit of nostalgia here so two oil busting boeing 727s find a new home at teesside international airport two oil busting jets are to be based at teesside international airport the uh, Boeing 727 aircraft will land in their new home where they will be based following the closure of Doncaster Sheffield Airport. The first of the two planes arrived at the airport on Wednesday, November the 16th, and will operate on behalf of Oil Spill Response Limited, OSRL. The jets could be deployed anywhere in the world in the event of a major oil spill. They work by spraying dispersant material with each one able to hold almost 4,000 gallons. This will be a new home for the two aircraft, Following the closure of the Doncaster Sheffield Airport, which serves as the program's operational base for more than 10 years. The teams train regularly to prepare for any possible emergencies and fly on average around six times a month. Practice drills can see the planes fly as low as 150 feet at speeds of around 150 knots, which is much slower than standard commercial services that fly at around 500 knots. The operation is sponsored by the oil industry and closely monitored by the UK Civil Aviation Authority, the Marine Management Organisation and the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency. Um, I don't know any aircraft that flies at 500 knots at 150 feet. I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> do you see my eyes right? <laughs> eyebrows rise as I read that bit out. <laughs> Oh, 150 knots, uh, sorry, 500 knots, 150 feet. That's going to be a pretty uh, long landing. I <laughs> yes. I remember. I still remember these, Nev, when we were up on the uh, media centre up at Farnborough and they'd done that display. I think it was when we had all the guys from APG over as well and they'd done that display where they flew over um, and they released the uh, release water from um, from the spray booms along the aircraft mm. didn't they if you remember that yeah that was a very nice so good to see the 7-2 because it was such a a popular and very very well utilized aircraft back in the sort of 70s 80s and right through till now i think actually i think isn't there still i can't remember whether the cargo carriers have still got these in use i'm sure the chat room will um uh, i think they've just got rid of them but uh Volatea, is it? They uh, they they were operating them until pretty recently. I think they used to have a simulator down in Burgess Hill, uh, in the south mm. of the UK. They had one in there that was pretty much only used by them. 
Yeah. And this is another uh, consequence, of course, of uh, closing Doncaster Sheffield Air Airport, former mm. RAF Finningley. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? That they couldn't keep that going. One of the longest runways in the country as well. Um, so I, I don't know whether it will ever come back, but um, yeah, it's, I still find that very shocking in its own right. I've got to say, that's okay, Nev. I'm sure it'll be um, it'll be fine. There'll be some, you know, housing estate built on there soon. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. Um, we need them to build a, an air park on there. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Nev, you have got the, uh, the you've got the next story, and uh, it's coming to us from uh, well somewhere where they obviously have uh, issues with tugs. Yes, I don't know if you've got any pictures for this one, Carlos, but it's on uh, simpleflying.com and aviation24.be. Uh, aircraft tug gets stuck under tr Air Transat Airbus A321neo. Uh, well, the incident first started when um, Charlie Golf Oscar India Romeo was being pushed back and everything went along relatively smoothly until the tow bar allegedly failed by breaking, according to Air Transat, the airline commented. On Wednesday, the November, November the 2nd, a technical incident involving an Air Transat aircraft occurred at Vancouver International Airport, where a tow bar broke as the aircraft was being pushed back from the gate. Passengers were disembarked and booked on another flight. Whilst it was fortunate that uh, Charlie Golf uh, Oscar India Romeo was not damaged during the initial incident, the aircraft's fate was subsequently changed when the second incident happened, just hours later when it was being towed. Uh, Air Transat confirmed the occurrence of a second episode by saying, following the required inspection from the first incident, the aircraft was towed to an overnight parking bay and a second incident occurred where the aircraft collided with the tug. Damages were caused to the aircraft but no passengers were on board at that point. Both incidents are under investigation. Well due to the snapped tow bar the tow tug leapt underneath the aircraft fuselage and caused significant damage. Fortunately there were no reports of personnel injuries resulting from both incidents. Uh, but pictures circling on social media sh show the aircraft bearing a gaping tear near its nose section and it was not the prettiest of sights for uh, for such a young uh, aircraft well whatever the cause of the uh, ground equipment failure or if it's anyone's fault the aircraft remains quite damaged and has since been grounded at Vancouver International Airport where it awaits a lengthy repair process um, I remember being a passenger on an A319, I think it was, coming out of Heathrow one day, uh, just as we pushed back. This is before they started using the little motorised um, moto tocks that Carlos and I have uh, did an interview about years ago. Um, and when one of those tow bars breaks, it enough make a, a big sound. <laughs> and if you're in the cockpit, it must be even louder, I would imagine. Um, so, uh, Matt, have you ever had uh, a tow bar break on, on you? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I've not had one break. I've spoken to quite a few people that have, though. It's probably more common than you'd imagine. But often on the headset, they'll just ask us to apply the brakes. Um, sometimes there's a miscommunication or something like this happens. But actually, the nose wheel is quite far back. People don't realise when we're trying to steer on the taxiway, 
the nose we have to sort of allow for where the nose will is it's pretty much actually uh where the galley is so where the where they're standing right at the front is where the nose wheel is so yeah you probably hear it more on row one where you always are nev uh, yes i did <laughs> so you're, you're closer to the nose wheel than we are <laughs> yeah um but um and uh, yes uh i think well, this was a couple of years ago now but i mean it didn't take too long and luckily there was no damage to the aircraft either but um yeah they just got no it. they have a, a safety mechanism inside so um the tow bar will break it's uh you know a bit like um one of those wrenches where you can set the torque on them it's a similar that it'll break before it damages the nose wheel mechanism so generally you just replace the tow bar and the, yeah. the nose wheel's fine gosh Actually, I just got a. Uh, if I grab this here, I'll put that on the screen. There we go. Uh, as well of the tug wedged, Ooh. ouch, fairly well underneath there. I can feel the reams of paperwork, yeah, being uh, <laughs> collated and gathered together as we look at that picture. Imagine spending 120 million on a A320 Neo, and then someone whacks the yes. tug into it. <sighs> Yeah, horrific absolutely horrific um but yeah someone put in the group speed tape fix <laughs> yes <laughs> i think even that might be a little bit much for, for speed tape that that would be uh some poly filler i think would be a good one so matt you've got uh you've got the next story and uh this one is uh well it's all about uh miles which nev would all would know all too much about yeah so nev gets the a321 story i get the air miles one <laughs> uh flying mix it blue up, to mix it add three stopovers exactly uh here's why this could make your miles a lot more valuable there's big news from flying blue the loyalty program for air france and klm Flying Blue will be adding free stopovers to award tickets on Air France and KLM Metal in the coming days, as first reported by One Mile at a Time. The news was announced Monday in a webinar by Flying Blue's Ben Lipsy, Senior Vice President of Customer Loyalty. Now you're able to stop over for no additional charge for up to a year. Presently, suppose you are booking an itinerary from Los Angeles International Airport to Rome, Fumicino, via Amsterdam Schiphol. In that case, Flying Blue's layover rules allow you to stay for a maximum of 23 hours and 59 minutes in Amsterdam. If you want to stay in Amsterdam for longer, you have to book two one-way tickets, so LAX to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to Fumicino. The free stopover will allow you to stay in Amsterdam for up to 12 months at no additional cost. Per the webinar, uh, Flying Blue's free stopover will be valid on flights connecting Air France to Air France, KLM to KLM, Air France to KLM, and KLM to Air France. So, all permutations. Uh, for example, uh, if you're travelling from Charles de Gaulle to Singapore on Air France, passengers were able to stop for up to 12 months in Singapore before continuing on KLM's fifth freedom flight from Singapore to Bali's airport. Uh, in theory, this itinerary would cost the same number of miles as travelling directly from Paris to Bali. Likewise, you could uh, fly from JFK to Amsterdam on KLM, stay for a few days and then continue to Prague for the same price as a ticket from New York to Prague. 
Lipsy also said that as of now, the free stopover offer will only apply to flights on Air France and KLM Metal. So customers who are connecting from Delta to KLM, for instance, will not be able to take advantage of the free stopover. Paris and Amsterdam are likely the two cities that will see the most stopovers, as almost all of Air France's and KLM's flights originate or terminate in these hubs. With up to 12 months to break up layovers, travellers can be strategic about how they want to book their connecting flights. Another example, students studying abroad in Europe can book Amsterdam or Paris as a stopover city and another European city as a final destination for a couple of weeks down the road. That's the perfect case for a weekend trip. Uh, Just to be clear, this is for award tickets only. I'd I'd love to know who who offers the best rewards programme as in as a as a global thing which airline offers the best for the customer reward program i don't know i mean they obviously themselves don't think it's a very simple thing because they had to give like four different examples in their press release <laughs> yes and of course they're always changing it as well aren't they that's the other thing um uh when i used to fly a lot with sas uh when i was doing a lot of backwards and forwards to sweden um i got sort of a gold status there fairly quickly because they were very generous with it but what i didn't fully appreciate is that the swedish government were considering taxing people uh, if i think if you were a swedish citizen or a citizen of um uh, norway or denmark as well um if you used those points for private travel i think that would be a step too far but they did I think I nearly went ahead with it at one point. Um, so, uh, but of course, the, these programs vary in generosity, you know, according to perhaps how well the airline's doing <laughs> or what the market situation is, perhaps. Do you have a flying blue reward card now? Uh, I do. I, I do have a card. Yes, it is. It is not a blue one, though. Um, but um, <laughs> I still I have. Nev's is platinum. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do. I do have an SAS card still, which is has gone down to blue because I've only flown them twice in about a year. So, uh, oh, yeah, right, yeah, it's uh, it's all changed now. So, moving on to the next part of the show, that brings the commercial news to a close. So, uh, Nev, on that note, actually. Oh. Uh, Neil said in the chat, yeah, "Where's our PTUK Miles program? We watch all these shows <sighs> and suffer all that military." That's a good. That's a point. good question, actually. Yeah, we should offer a, a P2K miles plus um, seat one A reward mm. program. What do you think? Like it. Yeah, I think when we have our production meeting at the start of January, that's going to be agenda item number one, won't we? <laughs> Oh, my word. We're going to sit here and figure this out now. Right, we need to get that in, in the uh, books anyway. Yep. So, um, Nev, what, what's coming up next on the show? Well, this is a bit of a treat. Um, we often get sent books by Grub Street Publishing, and uh, we were sent another one called Nat Boys um, by Rick Peacock Edwards and Tom Eels all about the fallen that and this aircraft of course was used in the RAF mainly in the advanced training role 
in the 1960s and 70s, where it proved to be an ideal leading trainer for high-performance aircraft, such as the iconic Lightning, the first RAF supersonic fighter. It was also the aircraft used by the famous Yellow Jacks formation aerobatic team formed in 1964, the forerunner of the world-famous Red Arrows team, which was equipped with the Nat for over a decade before being replaced by the Hawk in 1980. Lesser known, the Nat was also used as a lightweight fighter by both the Indian and Finnish air forces. And in the case of India, the Nat, later called the Ajit, uh, saw combat experience in the Indo-Pakistani wars, most notably in the Battle of Boira. Today, over 60 years since the aircraft first flew, several Nats continue to be operated from Northweald Airfield in Essex by the Heritage Aircraft Trust under the brand the Nat Display Team. Well, this book, Nat's Boys, was written by Rick Peacock Edwards and Tom Eels. It relates the history of the aircraft and includes many fascinating and untold stories by those who flew the aircraft, many of them well-known and distinguished aviators, including those from the Indian and Finnish Air Forces. There's also a focus on the civilian life of the Nat in the 21st century, which with accounts from those who continue to fly the aircraft with the uh, Heritage Aviation Trust. Well, we have done a three-part series of an interview with Rick, and in fact, Captain Nick Anderson was stationed with Rick on a number of occasions. So here's part one of his fascinating chat with him, which was filmed at White Waltham Aerodrome in Berkshire a few weeks ago. I'm here today with Rick Peacock Edwards, who's written a book uh, all about the NAT, the fallen NAT as flown by the Royal Air Force and other Air Forces called the NAT Boys. And we're going to talk to him about that and other subjects. But Rick, I'm dying to mention to everyone that you saved my flying career. But for our <laughs> listeners, I wonder if you could give us a potted history, perhaps, of your time in the Air Force. Yeah. Well, the first thing is I'm, I'm the son of a Battle of Britain pilot. So wow. flying was in the blood. But I grew up in South Africa and actually joined the RAF from South Africa. They shipped me across. And um, I was too old to go to Cranwell at the time, so I went the other route. Um, straight into flying training, basically, um, on the Jet Provost and then advanced flying training on the NAT. And then um, did my sort of tactical weapon training on the Hunter. Um, and then onto the Lightning, which was my dream aircraft. Wow. And uh, I had two tours on the Lightning, one in Germany on 92 Squadron, and then one back at Coldershaw, training those going to Germany, basically, on 65 Squadron. And then I went kicking and screaming into the uh, training world um, to become a, went to uh, Little Rissington and Campbell to become a, a qualified flying instructor on the NAT. Uh, and then I went back to Valley, um, this time as an instructor, where I had a really thoroughly enjoyable time, got over a thousand hours on, on that. In fact, I've got a th over a thousand hours on quite a few aircraft. And, um, and then after that, then I went to the Phantom, where we met at uh, Lucas. Uh, well, we met before that, but saw each other again at Lucas on uh, uh, different squadrons. I know which was the best one, so do you, but there we are. <laughs> um, and uh, then the rest of my flying career sort of partly oscillated around short ground tours, mainly in London and one in Washington. But uh, I moved on to the Tornado, and I was the very first RAF pilot to um, fly the fighter version of the Tornado, and I had the job of 
forming the first squadron and introducing the aircraft into RAF service. And then that was a long association with the tornado, both um, as uh, commander of 65 Squadron, which was also the operational conversion unit at Coningsby. Um, and then a little while later, I commanded the tornado base at Leeming with three squadrons, um, from where I was the first commander actually in, in, in the build-up to the Gulf War out in um, Saudi Arabia. Um, and then at the end of that tour, I thought, well, my flying days are over. And I went off to Washington into the British Embassy as an air attaché. Um, but then I got promoted and came back as the RAF's Inspector of Flight Safety, where I flew absolutely everything. Um, I had to stay current on um, quite a few types. At least one was operational, so I went back to the Tornado again. So I had a great tour there, um, basically sort of floating around the Air Force. Um, I had responsibility for the whole Air Force, flew everything and met everyone and it was a great experience. Then my final uh, job in the Air Force was director of Ty Eurofighter Typhoon, so I was a fighter boy really from start to finish. And uh, I retired uh, from the Air Force with over 7,000 flying hours, um, 1,500 hours on the Lightning, 1,000 on the Nat, 1,000 on the Phantom, and over 1,000 on the Tornado, and a lot of other things too. And then, so that was my Air Force career, and in a nutshell, outside that, I, I've had also quite an exciting and interesting career in the outside world as well. But I think it's the flying career in the Air Force that you're more interested in. Well, we are very interested in that, and that is a remarkable uh, amount of flying and a fantastic uh, time in the Air Force, so congratulations. Uh, I found the book, Nat Boys, which you read along with Tom Eels, a delightful read, both as a historic record of a remarkable little jet, uh, and as a wonderful collection of anecdotes. Um, who do you imagine will be your target audience for the book? Well, the target audience, um, as far as I'm concerned, we're concerned, is any aviation enthusiast. But obviously the, the target audience that we've got from the start are all those who were involved with the NAT who flew it, whether it was in the UK um, at Valley instructing or with the Red Arrows or um, overseas in India um, or Finland or and then of course the Nats are still flying today so in the book as you've seen we come right up to date we, we go from the start to where we are now and it really was well it was a very satisfying um, piece of work that we did that and I can explain more about how that happened. Mm, absolutely, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, I'm in touch with a, a, a group of guys in New Zealand who are yep. trying to bring uh, a NAT back into flying condition out there, which is fantastic. Interestingly, the NAT only stayed in service with the RAF for 16 years, which is quite a short time, say, compared with the Hawker Hunter, which flew in the same year but carried on with the Air Force for nearly 40 years, and in other countries for 60 years. Indeed, the Nats replacement, the BAE Hawk, still going strong 48 years later. Why was the Nats life uh, so short? Um, in my view, it was because uh, the, the Nat was just a beautiful aircraft to fly, in my view. It was a perfect uh, lead-in trainer for aircraft like the Lightning. Um, it, uh, as you would have seen from the book, all those who contributed the one thing that comes out, one of the things that comes out to me is that everybody who, who flew the Nat loved flying it. It's a little pocket rocket. It's a sports car of the skies, basically. 
and I certainly love flying it. Um, but there were things in the net. If, if, you, if you didn't know what you were doing with the aircraft, it could kill you very quickly. And the accident record of the net um, was not that great, in fact. And I think probably it's the accident rate, plus a lot of people thought it was pretty complex. It was complex. The control system was very complex. And that was one of the areas that would kill you. Um, so I think you know, a decision was made fairly, fairly early on that they needed to move forward. And of course, then the Hawk came along, and the Hawk has done a fantastic job since. But those of us who were fortunate enough to fly the Nat um, absolutely loved it, of course. In saying that, we never forget those that we knew who died in accidents. Um, they would never be forgotten. No, you're quite right there. Now, when the Nat was uh, first envisaged by Folland, it was suggested it might be the answer to Europe's air defence problem, which was a pretty bold statement. Was it genuinely a practical solution? No, no, not, not in my view. I mean, we did some interesting things with the Nat. It, was, it, it proved itself as a very effective fighter in the uh, Indo-Pakistani wars where the Indians loved it and it was known as the Sabre Slayer. There, that's where the, the fighter experience um, comes from. Uh, plus Finland flew it as a fighter as well. Um, but um, really, I mean, it, it's a very, you put the Nat on, it's a, it's a small aircraft, it's lightweight. It doesn't have the sort of uh, um, capability to carry much weaponry. Um, it doesn't have a radar, for example, you know, where are you going to put a radar in it? So it, it's got a role. In, in the fighter world, um, you know, in the Air Force we used to use mixed fighter force operations. So tag, tagging that onto a Phantom or a, or a Tornado or something like that, and, and it can be used very effectively. But the answer to Europe's um, prayer, no. Um, the uh, RAF's trainer version, the T1, uh, I always found, found the integrated flight instrument system that it came with a delight to use. Um, but its acceptance as a common system throughout the RAF kind of failed, really, uh, since it only ever appeared in the Lightning and the Buccaneer. Now, why was that? I really don't know, because all I can say is that um, I agree with you totally. The, um, um, the OR946 uh, instrument integrated system in the NAT was a beautiful system for instrument flying, quite frankly. And we had it in the Lightning, and as, we, as you said, and it was... That's one of the reasons why it was such a good leading trainer to aircraft like the Lightning, because we used all these things. We, we got used to speed, we got used to the instrumentation. It wasn't just the uh, all that, but things like the instrument landing system as well, and doing auto ILSs. Which we, the NAT, you could do some very advanced things in. Um, I really don't know why it um, wasn't used in more aircraft around the Air Force, because there's no doubt about it, in my view, it was in many ways ahead of its time at the time. It was a good system. It was, it was a delight to fly with. Mm. Um, now, when the NAT was accepted as the RAF's fast jet trainer, it had been in competition with the T-7 Hunter, which most of us then flew prior to the tank weapons course. Now, the T-7 was a side-by-side -side cockpit. Mm. The um, NAT, of course, was um, um, I don't know, like tandem. a tandem, like a bicycle. Yeah. Um, do you think that was a factor in why it was chosen? Yes, I do. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I think it was the right choice. I, I found the tandem, I, I just found the Nat just a, an absolute delight to fly. And the tandem said, 
personally as a, as a student, the instructor and the student relationship was, was very good and the instructor in the back, the view from the back wasn't that great but um, you could certainly sort of, it was, it was good for sort of uh, instructing and for, I found as a student, when I was a student there it was nice being in my own cockpit and when I was an instructor I didn't find it was a hindrance not to have the student in the same part of the aircraft as me. I knew exactly what, what he was doing. I could monitor it. Whereas the Hunter, the T7, anybody you flew the Hunter, yeah. the T7 was the two-seater, which was, and then you had the F6, which was a single-seater. And you, you know the difference between the two-seater and the single-seater. On, it didn't have the same power for a start, and not only that, but it was a lookout, you know, side by side. It was a bit of a cumbersome thing. It was a nice thing to fly, but nothing like the Nat. No, no you're quite right. An awful lot of ironwork around that yeah. cockpit. Mm. Absolutely. Um, the Nat was considered a very challenging aircraft for less able students to fly. Now, do you feel that was an advantage, considering the generation of fast jets that they were likely to move on to, despite the trainer's safety record? What I will say is that anybody who got through the Nat course had earned the right to go forward into the uh, fast jet OCU world. It was demanding. I think for the lesser able students it was particularly demanding. Um, speed, I mean, as with the Lightning in fact, it was one of those aircraft, you come from the Jet Provost onto the Nat and it's a quantum leap forward and it, you can read it in the book. The number of people, when they first flew the Nat they thought, wow, how am I ever going to fly this? But they do, they, they settle down and they, and they love it. Um, but um, there's always some um, who, the things that catch people out are mental capacity, um, ability to cope under pressure. Um, and it does, you know, flying the aircraft, it's the, only, the NAT is the only aircraft that I've always said that I've had to fly it on the runway as well as in the air. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Yeah, that, that really narrow undercarriage, narrow undercarriage and, the, uh, and the wings. Yeah. Um, and you know, in, in, on a wet runway, um, in a crosswind, the air, well, the air, not so bad on takeoff. You except you had to have the right amount of aileron into, into wind to keep the wings level. But on landing, it can be a real, a real bugger, quite frankly, because <laughs> <laughs> it would it would rock and roll down the runway. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, I, I remember doing that myself. I read with amusement Derek Bryant's story uh, as the Central Flying School uh, NAP project officer and one of the very first uh, RAF NAP pilots who after 25 flights mishandled the aircraft on takeoff and wrecked the undercarriage. Yeah. Now, yet this was an aircraft that students were supposed to be able to learn on. Do you think that was a, a lesson in itself? It was a lesson and, and they learned from it. and. Uh, uh, Derek Bryant sort of was very upfront about mm. you know sort of what had happened. He was the he had the job, rather like I did years later to introduce the tornado into service. Mm. He introduced the that into service, and I think in many ways it's fortunate that happened because they they learned from that. Uh, they they uh, introduced modifications as a result, which can only have helped in the future. Absolutely, yeah. Now another um, marvelous bit in the book. I love Mike Shaw's poker player's description <laughs> of the uh, uh, RF Valley's hangers when he says a full house, gnats on jacks. But it had the kind of ring of truth about it, didn't it? So why was the gnat 
so often in the hangar instead of flying? Well, it was a complex aircraft. I mean, I mean, <laughs> the Jet Promise was a clockwork mouse, basically, compared with the Nat. Mind you, the Nat compared with the Lightning. The Lightning hangars looked fairly, <laughs> fairly interesting as well. But um, it went. Serviceability was a problem, particularly Mike Shaw was on, I think, he was on the very first course, in fact. So the aircraft didn't just come in, um, and they did have big serviceability problems then. They overcame a lot of those, certainly when I was flying the Nat, some years later, we had loads of Nats on the line, but not in Mike's day. So it was, it was, it was the complexity of the aircraft, complexity of the aircraft, and the fact that it was new, and to some extent the lack of spares at the time as well. Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381 that's 01932 857 381 well wasn't that marvelous uh, thanks very much indeed to rick for agreeing to do uh, the interview i i just love him and Nick chatting away as, as they do. And, and Nick knows how to get the best out of his interviewees, doesn't he? And uh, that, that was no exception. Uh, we've got two more parts to play out <clears throat> this uh, the following week and the week after that. And then we have the book. And Rick's very kindly signed it for us. And we'll be offering it as part of a quiz, which we'll do at the end of the third part. And then the following week, We'll be announcing who the winner is so uh, stay tuned for that but it's a it's a great read and there's plenty more to come from rick over the next couple of weeks as well i can't wait it's a really good series uh, uh, it's uh, we, we've we've been very oh, lucky you weren't there earlier What's i know i know it's i've arrived in stealth mode he's did morphed. anybody notice he's morphed <laughs> morphed into what exactly it's, it's, it's i'm just doing my santa impressions <laughs> Were you not happy with the production quality, so you decided to? Yeah, I, I was. I was watching uh, in the in the town centre, and I, I, I couldn't bear it any longer. I had to come up, really. <laughs> Never mind, day. Eh? Yeah, uh, we've, we've on a note actually. What uh, Nev was saying there, obviously, with the book, we've got going to uh, give that away as a prize at the mm -hmm. end of the uh, series of interviews. Uh, as Nev said last week, and I think the week before, that you know, we've got a whole host of really great yeah. aviation themed books, which we're going to be giving away right through uh, into next year. Every month, we'll um, we'll be giving away a book, won't we, Nev? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking at my collection now. I've got about another <laughs> eight or nine to, oh. uh, to, to, to well, give away. well into next summer then. So. So, yeah, plenty. Um, and Grub Street keeps sending them to us, so that'll be great. Wonderful. So they tend to send me one every couple of months. So, uh, but um, Mind you, we've had some great interviews off the back of, of that book series, isn't it? So, I mean, we're very grateful for that, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So it's time for the part of the show then, which uh, normally Armando would introduce, but uh, obviously he's not here. He's busy flying, isn't he, doing what he does best. Uh, but he sent us in some really great videos this week to uh, cover the military news. So if everyone's ready, Matt, Ooh, yeah. hit the button. Watch out, buggies, 13550, angels, 16, heading 340. Okay, 
next military story is so by now most everyone has probably seen the news about the collision between the b-17 the texas raiders and the p-63 king cobra down at the wings over dallas air show now over the last couple days i've kind of thought about how to address this and there's been some analysis done online um, on some of the aviation websites and like anytime there's a mishap there's just so many people that come out and try to think of uh of reasons as to why this happened now initially i was um a little bit upset about this because you know i, I thought it was a scripted a rejoin so in the air shows you know a lot of times when we uh, and I was talking to the guys on the show about the air shows in Duxford, where there's very complicated uh, display sequences with lots of aircraft in the air at the same time. Um, that's that's done pretty commonly with some of these uh, World War One, World War Two aircraft. Um, all of this, as you guys can imagine, takes a lot of planning, um, a lot of briefing uh, for the pilots to be able to do this. They're they're very well qualified to do this, and all of it is is almost always very well scripted now initially i thought this was uh, supposed to be a rejoin between two aircraft with the p63 uh joining up on the b17 uh, since then i've discovered some more information as to that that actually wasn't the case now I, I will say the best analysis that i've seen so far actually came from uh, aopa's aviation safety institute um and uh, mr mcspadden he was the former or, or a former flight lead for the thunderbirds experienced air show pilot. He is the vice president of the Air Safety Foundation. And, and I'll point you guys over to his YouTube video, but he probably has the most credentialed, uh, respectful, and thorough analysis of what, what actually happened here. I'll, I'll try to paraphrase what, what he said in that video, which to me makes the most sense out of all the analyses that has happened. Now, both aircraft, the B-17 and the P-63, were uh, registered to the American Air Power Heritage Flying Museum. Both of them were flying on behalf of the Dallas-based Commemorative Air Force, which as you guys know, is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to preserving and displaying historical aircraft. Now, most importantly, the CAF has released the names of the pilots uh, and the crew killed in the incident aboard the B-17. It was uh, Terry Barker, Don Reagan, uh, Len Root, Kurt Rau, uh, K-5 uh, Michaels, and aboard the P-63, the pilot was Craig Hutain. Uh, now, the, this accident happened in full view of the spectators. Uh, many caught the event on cameras. There was a lot of video that made its way through social media, as well as you can imagine, this was a pretty big air show down there, and it was all uh, captured on, on high-definition cameras. Now, during a, a press conference late Sunday, Mike Graham of the NTSB requested that if anybody actually has any photos or videos of the accident they'd like to ask that you share them with the NTSB at witness at NTSB.gov. Now, as far as what happened in the crash, the, so this was a big air show at the Dallas Executive Air, Air, Airport. Um, it was during an, what they're calling kind of an air parade of World War II aircraft. So according to multiple video sources and from what we saw, the P-63 was slightly higher altitude as it came uh, from behind and to the left of the B-17 in a descending left turn. So the P-63 ended up striking the B-17 right behind the radio uh, operator's compartment. It's pretty much halfway down the aircraft, but essentially carved 
the uh, the B seventeen in half, and we were saying off air. It's kind of hard to imagine from some of the pictures that this uh, this was a modern day uh, capture of something like that. It looks straight out of of something that would a picture that you you would see from World War II. Um, it, was, it was very emotional, very sort of raw watching the the videos. Um, of course, both aircraft uh, ended up you know. Uh, hitting the ground after this, neither one of, of the aircraft was, was survivable. Um, so the investigation is, is happening, right? The, 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 brief, the, the debris field was pretty much on the airfield, a little bit ended up on the highway right there next to that, to that airport. NTSB was there, the FAA was there, obviously reviewing a lot of the video footage. Um, the B-17 had been in the air for about 11 minutes, the P-63 for about six minutes when the collision happened. Um, Obviously, some people thought that this was some actually part of the show, but most most aviators and spectators that have seen this kind of show knew that something was wrong pretty uh, pretty quickly. Um, in this kind of air show, in this kind of scripted thing, um, separation of the aircraft is is imperative, and it's briefed, it's rehearsed, it's uh, it's sacrosanct to to maintain the separation. And one of the things that Mr. McSpadden from the Aviation Safety Institute brought up was actually the crowd line. Um, now on air shows, almost at any air show, well really at any air show, there are very defined crowd lines that are established. So uh, that may be 500 feet from the crowd, 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet from the crowd, depending on the, the aircraft, its capacity, its speeds, um, in this case, some of the initial analysis shows that and this was all pre-briefed, and these were very experienced pilots, both all from the commemorative Air, Air Force. The B-17 was, was on its established crowd line, which was the closest to the crowd. So essentially right over the runway, and the runway ran sort of northwest bound. Um, crowd lines are usually very visible from the aircraft. So it could be a runway, a taxiway. Sometimes they put out some panels. So the, B, the, the B-17, based on its previous tracks from different parts of the air show, was, was pretty much right on its intended path, uh, just west of the crowd line, where it was supposed to be away from the crowd. Uh, essentially right over the runway, you know, and, and the B-17 is not the most maneuverable aircraft. So they had a pretty big wide pattern as they came around. Um, the fighter crowd line was a little bit further than that. So probably about 500 feet further west or away from the crowd. And from some of the video videos that you see from the air show, there's two P P-51s that are part of the formation of the fighters, of the three fighters, so there's two P-51s and then the P-63. The two P-51s seem to be where they're supposed to be on the west side of their crowd line, which is 500 feet away from the B-17 and its crowd line over the runway. So more over to the west, the west side of the field over the woods. Now the initial analysis from the Aviation Safety Institute, and, and it makes sense from the FAA and the NTSB, Everybody's talked about the visibility from the P-63. Really, any of those fighters, the P-51, P-63, um, really 
most most of those World War II fighters had a terrible visity, visibility out the front and especially to the bottom. So you never go belly up. Same thing as Reno. Um, and and from initial analysis, it seemed like the P-63 was actually coming around and, uh, and missed its show line, missed its crowd line, um, and had converged over to the B-17's crowd line. From the direction that the P-63 was coming, there it's highly likely that he never saw the pilot, um, never saw either the B-17 or the fact that he was outside the crowd line uh, until he was already well into the turn, um, almost over the airport property. And right in some of the videos, you can see where there is a there is an increased bank and a, and a bit of a pool. That's probably right when he realized that that he was not entirely in trail behind the P-51s and also past his crowd line. Now, the chances of those two aircraft being at the, the exact same moment at the exact same time is is incredibly unfortunate. Pretty rare, you know. Um, even busting a busting a, a crowd line is 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 taken very seriously, both by the pilots, by the airshow organizers, and by the regulatory authorities. Um, this pilot had flown airshows in this airplane uh, plenty of times before, but it but it was one of these situations where. Now you've lost that separation between the fighter crowd line and the uh, B-17's crowd line. Um, so it's, it's highly likely that, that the P-63 pilot never actually saw the B-17. And of course, uh, the B-17 never saw the P-63 as there's very little uh, rearward visibility from the cockpit unless they had somebody up in the tail, um, which is unlikely based on the, the crew composition of the aircraft at the time. It's a very unfortunate incident. It's uh, just one of these things that, you know, there are mistakes that happen in aviation. Um, these, uh, much like Reno, much like the some of the air shows that you see out there, <clears throat> all of this is very well planned out. Initially, I had a little bit of anger towards the towards uh, the, the whole situation, thinking, "Man, what? It is unnecessary for a high speed rejoin like that over a crowd." That turned out not to be the case, and, and that was just a gut reaction on my part. But um, to be honest, the, the, the likelihood of this kind of incident happening is, is pretty rare. And it's incredibly unfortunate this particular time that, that two uh, beautiful aircraft were lost, um, that the six individuals that lost their lives you know, very experienced crew members um, dedicated to showing off these aircraft and taking them to air shows and keeping the memory of, of these World War II aircraft alive. But I think most importantly, it was very important. It was, it was very fortunate that nobody in the crowd was hurt. Um, uh, you know, it, it, this was, I don't know why, but th this kind of incident really hit everyone in the aviation community hard. Um, if you guys know, a couple years ago now, we did an interview with Larry Combs. Larry Combs had the, uh, is a crew chief for the Confederate Air Force P-51 Red Nose um, down in Atlanta at the Dixie Wing. Um, he had actually flown quite a bit with, with, with Craig, who was the pilot of the P-63. And he made a social media post that you know Craig was one of the best pilots he knew and uh, really all-around fun guy, very experienced 
pilot at the com commemorative Air Force. Um, so even a, a big event like this sometimes actually hits close to home. Um, one of my best friends, Shelby here, who uh, flies for uh, a regional airline here in Charlotte, she was she is part of the commemorative Air Force wing out there in Arizona, and they knew some of the pilots out there um, from these from this uh, B seventeen. So. Um, even a, a big national event like this, actually, the aviation community, as we always say, is so small that it actually hits pretty close to home. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the uh, NTSB investigation. I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, hear something fairly quickly. Uh, the aircraft were mechanically sound. The pilots were all trained, um, all safety considerations leading up to the mishap were, were followed, as far as we know. Um, but uh, we'll see, um, I'm sure, in a couple weeks what what ultimately the cause of this uh, mishap was. And um, and then, like I said, most importantly, no, nobody in the crowd was lost. But a uh, very unfortunate incident. And, um, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. And, uh, of course, the families of, of these pilots and everybody that saw this incident happen firsthand, uh, there's a high potential for... Uh, for a, a traumatic experience here. So our uh, hearts go out to everyone involved in the mishap and that was, um, you know, part of that air show. I mean, it's just such an awful incident, isn't it really? And as you say, it's something that the people who were at that air show are gonna remember forever and mm. ever, isn't it? It's, uh, I, I suppose if there's a, I don't know any. If you have something like this, I suppose there's plenty of video footage for you know. There, help, there was a, there was a number, the number of videos. Yeah, yeah there was I there imagine. was. Yeah. I think well over a hundred videos on YouTube of various mm. camera angles that people had taken from various points in and around the area. Um, a lot of which were used on the um, the news platforms mm. in yeah. the US and here in the UK. Yeah. Um, but it was it was awful to see mm. really awful to see um I mean, i'd just got home from a gig actually um, late at night when not when mm. i checked my news feeds and found that on there uh, you know early hours of the sunday morning yeah but um obviously there's investigation to be done the ntsb mm. are doing their investigation i know and uh, you can actually if you go on the ntsb's youtube page they've got quite a good video there where they um actually chat about the you know what they're the process oh, really? of what they're doing, yeah, oh, just wow, okay. the the preliminary um, part of the yeah. investigation on there. I, I mean, is that normal, or is it just because of the the sort of no, the high what profile of, of of the incident? Because obviously, a lot of people were there, I suppose. So yeah, they they, they tend to do the that quite yeah. a bit actually. That it's quite an interesting thing to listen to because you know these guys are actually going to be talking, you know, sense. Yeah, true. Um, true. As opposed to some uh, videos that you can see, but mm. um, yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see as well going forward how this affects future shows in yeah, the that's true. US as well, yeah. air shows. Uh, any thoughts, Matt? Uh, well, just echoing, you know, everyone else's thoughts, really, how tragic it is. You know, no one gets up in the morning and sets out to go and cause a massive accident, no. do they? So, no, indeed. Uh, whatever the results are, it's yeah. terrible, isn't it? And I always find these things, you know, it's sad when you see the footage or you see something mm. uh, about it but then when you see the pictures that they put out of all the crew 
Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it, yeah, knowing yeah. that all those people were involved. Yeah. I mean, Nev, genuinely, do, I mean, do you think this will this will change? Like, I mean, it's not just going to affect the UK. This is it. I mean, obviously, what happened here is going to echo across the world in terms of all um, uh, air shows. Well, I think lessons are always learned, aren't they? Mm. Um, even in the most uh, tragic circumstances, and, mm. and this is no exception. And uh, it was just nice for Armando to uh, give his thoughts on mm. on various things there. Mm. He's a, a good, the right person to have reported on it for yeah, us. Well, I agree. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, uh, next video coming up uh, from the military segment by Armando, or from Armando. And uh, this video is all about the uh, US Air Force's virtual training. This next military story is from airforcetime.com. And recently, we've been talking about some revolutionary changes in Air Force training. But Air, Air, Air Force airmen are actually gearing up to what could be the most consequential move in military pilot training since the Air Force was actually created in 1947, which is teaching students how to fly an airplane without actually stepping foot in a real airplane. So This new program is called the Air Mobility Fundamentals Simulator. It's the Air Force's next step in a years-long project to modernize pilot training without sacrificing quality. It's also an opportunity for the service to embrace some more cost-effective technology and retire its 30-year-old fleet of T-1 Jayhawk trainer jets, which we've talked about on the show is essentially a, a Hawker Raytheon beach jet. Now, some experts are warning that turning out experienced pilots is actually more complicated than just trading an airworthy cockpit for some kind of replica, as these simulators are. Now, Heather Penny, a retired Air National Guard fighter pilot, who now researches, uh, researches defense policy, um, says that there's a lot of value to a simulator, but there's something fundamentally different when you're up in the air. Um, in the air, that risk management sets in, you know, is really ingrained in somebody when there's no do-overs and no resets. So the new path, here's how it works. The so first military aircraft that a student touches is the T-6 Texan II. And we've talked about that airplane on the show also. That's part of the undergraduate pilot training uh, program curriculum. Pilots earn their wings in the T-6, which takes about seven months, at which point a trainee is selected to continue either on the fighter bomber track or the mobility track. About 900 students are picked for the mobility track uh, each year. Now, those airmen who are training to fly cargo, tanker aircraft, as well as some special operations, some intelligence gathering airplanes, typically spend about five months in the T-1, which is an intermediate step towards their operational unit. Now, those who pass a T-1 course then move on to learn about their actual assigned aircraft. Now, starting in January of next year, this interim step known as a specialized undergraduate pilot training will only use simulators to teach more advanced flight skills in about 75 days. Now, this includes the current T-1 simulator and a newly designed, more generic, virtual reality cockpit from um, well-known simulator producer Redbird Flight Simulations. Um, each undergraduate pilot training base is going to host eight Redbird systems and four legacy T-1 simulators, according to the Air Force. Uh, Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma got its first Redbird simulators in, in September. Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi is slated to receive its simulators by March 2023 and Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas is getting its simulators by July of 2023. Now, teaching would begin four to six months after the systems are delivered. That means that the redesigned course may not actually go into full effect or fully implemented until early 2024. 
Now, Redbird's custom-built uh, T1 cockpit uses a software uh, designed by longtime defense contractor SAIC and Lockheed Martin to closely but not exactly replicate the experience of flying the, the T1. The, the view outside the airplane is virtual. Cameras on a headset let students see their own hands as they manipulate the controls and the knobs, which makes the experience a little bit more realistic and useful than trying to move you know, fake hands around a screen like some of the, the simulators that you might find at home. Um, now, the simulators can be very effective tools for teaching emergency procedures and scenarios that aren't possible in a local area you know, flight. That's according to two military experts who spoke to the Air Force Times. It does, and I've experienced this firsthand, let students safely explore what, what the airplane software can do, especially potentially sensitive maneuvers out of the public view, and of course, with a much, much lower risk. And in systems that uh, track where a pilot is looking or the order in which they hit certain buttons, the sim technology can actually help grade their performance based on established flows and, um, and checklist items. So the new curriculum has been in the works for about a year, and I think we mentioned it um, about three weeks ago on the show. Um, in particular, the, this new course emphasizes how to use an FMS, how to properly manage resources without uh, without all your engines, so in this case, one engine instead of two engines, how to run autopilot, read takeoff and landing data, um, all the things that you would expect out of a simulator training session. Now, the Air Force vetted its plan in three small group trials at Joint Base San Antonio uh, in Texas. Now, judging by their performance later on in training, uh, some Air Force spokespersons said that there was no discernible difference between um, the students who went through the traditional course and the students who went through this virtual reality course as compared to past students. <clears throat> Basically, they're thinking that, that, that they're on the right track. Now, the airmen themselves offered plenty of feedback so that the companies could make new simulators realistic enough to teach the skills that they needed. Um, whether a simulator effectively, effectively stands in for live flight depends on its le level of fidelity. Um, that is based on... Uh, uh, physical attributes, visual or mental attributes, and how close to that, how close that comes to the real thing actually de depends on what it is that the course is trying to, to impart and what they're trying to teach. So for instance, a full motion simulator can demonstrate what it feels like to land a helicopter on an uneven surface. Um, but the virtual reality goggles can't fully replicate those kind of physical sensations that you feel in the airplane. They're pretty good, but it's just not quite there. Of course, there are cost considerations to this. If the objective is to teach decision-making under stress without feeling a physical impact, VR headsets could be a good fit compared to a costly full motion simulator. Um, efficiency also matters. The Air Force has ordered 20 Redbirds so far. Uh, the company's unique cockpits that they're producing for the military cost somewhere between $300,000, $500,000, including the flight software. That's a fraction of the price of a more advanced simulator with the technology to replicate G-forces, for instance. The, they can run tens of millions of dollars, those full motion simulators. And just like we've done um, on the commercial side, you know, when I was done at, at, at Delta Airlines for the ATP-CTP, that A320 simulator is tens of millions of dollars when I did my Hawker training, when I did my Pilatus training, all at Flight Safety International, those simulators are in the tens of millions of dollars. 
So this is a pretty significant cost savings there. Now, once these simulators are up and running, this new approach um, doesn't drastically change the instructor's roles from the, you know, from the traditional uh, simulators because they're still kind of doing the same, using the same skill set to teach these students. Um, and then, of course, with the virtual reality being so immersive, the instructor pilots are are essentially doing the same job as they would both in the simulator and in the airplane. And we did talk a couple of weeks ago about there is actually a simulator instructor shortage because the Air Force needs those pilots to be out on the line flying. Um, so this is essentially the way of the future. These uh, virtual reality simulators, these full motion simulators, um, it's pretty common in the commercial world. Um, if you are interested in flying for an airline, a lot of times you're going to go through training, whether, you know, whether it's a couple weeks or a couple months, you're going to go fully into the simulator. And the first time that you touch the airplane for real is actually on the line in a real airplane with live passengers in the back. Can be a little bit scary. A lot less risk in the Air Force with, uh, with not having to carry passengers in the back. But um, either way, this is a, a pretty revolutionary move in Air Force training. And to the U.S. Air Force, if you're looking for somebody that is on a, uh, you know, world-renowned aviation podcast that you would like to try out your new virtual reality and full motion simulators, I'm sure that all four of us would like to take a go at it. So um, we'll keep an eye out on this. I see. I see what he did there. <laughs> I see what he did there. I don't, I don't know how I. I mean, it sounds like an absolutely brilliant idea. It seems like a logical thing, but as, as sort of as Armando alluded to there, I mean, I suppose this. I mean, we obviously we're looking at this as a military application, but presumably this can be extended to commercial as well as he was saying there. But like, I don't know how comfortable I would be if the first time that you actually sort of like flew an airplane with actual people on board you know like was like the first time you actually did it rather than like using the vr all the way up to it i mean i don't know how do you feel about this matt um mixed really i mean there's i think there's definitely space for it to be used as a tool mm. uh depends how much of it you use really i mean of course we use simulation a lot in our training anyway mm. and upgrading that simulation to including vr could be good i think there's ways to go um a lot of people get feel sick when they're using these vr things mm. i was at um an airline training event in berlin last week as i was saying earlier and they the airbus actually had a vr stand there as did a couple of other companies and they're looking at using this vr for training but they were saying themselves the biggest trouble they've got at the moment is that a lot of people are feeling sick when they're using them so they're going to have they're looking at putting the vr rig on a moving platform like a traditional training simulator well if you're doing that you're losing a lot of the cost benefit of going vr mm. so i think the technology's still got a little way to go um but i think it's certainly a useful tool yeah it the vr help the whole vr thing for training i think it's a good idea but like Tony S is saying in the chat room, how can you simulate G-forces mm. and stuff and stressful environments when you're wearing a headset well, you, in, a, in a room? You can't do that in our current simulators either, so mm. okay. it's not yeah. necessarily worse than we've got now, but you, 
it sometimes can be more immersive, I guess. Mm. True. I True. still would love to have a go on a full motion sim. Yeah. 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 I mean, we had to go to the fixed base one we didn't did, we? Yeah. at Putney in London yeah, yeah, that for was the cool. 200th, but I would love to, to yeah. have a go on one of those full motion I'll ones. I'll take you in a full motion sim if you like. All right. You'll know my best friend. Oh, good <laughs> Lord. All right. Okay. No Fair worries. Right. Let yeah. me know when. Yeah, I don't yeah, care when yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll literally cancel work for Wedding anniversary, the yeah. wife's birthday. <laughs> I don't... It's not an issue there. Let me know when you want me to, to come and see Lovely. you. Lovely. Okay, so before I'm Carlos there. gets divorced, shall we move on to the next <laughs> next part of the show? <laughs> yes. We better, I suppose. Yes. Yes. I get it for both of you as a joint present, oh, but God, then you no, can use it. No, yeah. You, 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 yeah, you and Nev go, because yeah. it'd be wasted on me. It really would. Uh, <laughs> so, Nev, uh, we've got a very special part of the show, haven't we, coming up next? Yes, very much so. Well, you, you all remember that Carlton and I went to the Jersey International uh, Air Display a couple of months ago, and whilst on the plane, we met up with a nice gentleman called John Falk. We got chatting to him on the plane, and we uh, exchanged business cards and, and the usual sort of stuff. And we received an email uh, from John uh, this week, and we thought we would read that out uh, with, with his permission as well. He says, uh, Dear Nev, we met briefly whilst we were flying over to Jersey on BA for the air show this year in September. My father is Rowley Falk, who test flew the Avro Falcon in 1952. He's got a brief Wikipedia entry and flew over 300 different types of aircraft. Though not well known, his father, my grandfather, Oswald Falk, founded and headed a merchant bank, which is O.T. Falk and Partners, which funded Frank Whittle in the development of the jet engine. Oh, wow. My other grandfather was also an Avro test pilot, Bill Thorne, who was tragically killed in the Tudor 2 crash with Roy Chadwick. He was involved with Sam Brown, who's another great Avro test pilot, in the development of the uh, Lancaster. Now, he said, just before I met with you, um, a, uh, with a group of volunteers keeping the Avro Vulcan XL426 alive and kicking, we cre recreated a photo of my father climbing into a Vulcan on the 70-year anniversary of its first flight. And uh, he's very kindly uh, sent me a copy of the video of the event, which also includes a high-speed taxi run. So if you'd like to play this one, Matt, yeah. let's have a look. Well, it's, uh, I had a high expectation and it met all my expectations and uh, I still don't understand quite how I managed to win the raffle uh, that the VRT uh, organised and I know that was all done in a fair way but uh, I, the, stars, the stars were obviously aligned and um, it was a pleasure here to uh, take part in it. I mean, it was some, a, a very, very special experience. I was uh, born at the same year that he did the first flight, so um, I, and he retired from flying for, from test flying in about 1958-59. So I wasn't that. I didn't really have much knowledge of his flying. Not that, so, but the the special pieces to, to actually recreate that photo and think that uh, here, 70 years ago, that he was standing there, a lot younger than me that, in that photo. <laughs> 
Um, but it, to actually be able to do that thanks to the VRT is, is, is really something very special. I mean, it's something to be re recreated by the ladder is really yeah. like the story about the fact that uh, he decided to put a you know fighter style control stick uh, in uh, on the Vulcan that was his request because the initial flights I, I believe were done with a spectacled style uh, control stick and his argument was he didn't want to leave his knees behind if he had to eject out uh, which I think is the reason you know if there was any problem during the ejection uh, then he wanted to make sure that uh, ev everything came with him <laughs> Um, and then, uh, obviously, he's, he has a lot of fame for rolling the Vulcan at the 55 show at Farnborough. Um, and, you know, most people want to talk about that. And uh, I think the, special, the thing to understand about that is he always said it was a constant 1G uh, while doing, doing the, the roll, a Dutch roll, I think it was called. And there was um, his engineer, favorite engineer, who was in the back, he told me later on, many years later, that he balanced a pencil uh, while the roll was being done. Now, also, I'm not sure if that's a... He, he said, yes, it, it was real, John. You know, so um, I'll, I believe him, he, he did it. I mean, just wow. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that grin on, on his face as he was taxiing there, that is... We that, all have a grin. Yeah, absolutely. But do you know what I mean? It was a, a, the face of a man who was taking a trip down memory lane. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was a real... Uh, it was. Uh, I'm so glad they recorded it because that was such a special moment, Nev. I don't know what you think. Unbelievable. And it was so nice to uh, talk to, to John about it yeah. very briefly uh, on the aircraft. Uh, John's actually sent us some uh, other information um, connected with the Jersey Airways uh, historic de Havilland uh, Heron. It's, it's the uh, an aircraft which they uh, was in the uh, local newspaper, actually. And we're going to discuss that uh, on next week's show, actually, because we've got mm. quite a lot of cram in this week. So yeah. I thought we'd cut up into two parts and we'll talk about uh, the Jersey Airways uh, uh, de Havilland Heron on next week's show. Love it. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, I hope you all enjoyed uh, that as well. It was a good bit of good bit of video that I think mm. for. Uh, yeah, thanks brought, so much, John. For yeah, that. yeah. Brought back some nice memories of of the hundredth. Yeah, the hundredth show episode. that yeah, we done yeah. um, live on the uh, Vulcan. Yeah, back in God, that's a few years ago now. I know, I know. So next one, we've got uh, a bit of uh, listener feedback, haven't we, Nev? Um, from the uh, of a Mig fifteen. Yes. Well. 
Um, normally, when uh, somebody says, "Oh, would you like to see a picture of my, you know, girlfriend in a, in a an aircraft?" Right. I, I thought Dirk, <laughs> our listener, was going to say, "Oh, it's in a one seven two or a PA twenty eight, something no. small and normal." Yeah. No, <laughs> he's gone completely to the other end of the scale, and he very kindly sent me some video of this. I, I edited it together uh, mm. for him, but he sent me all the raw footage. So I've put together a little compilation of the time that Sylvia, Dirk's girlfriend, was in the MiG fifteen. Hello, PTUK family. Greetings from the beautiful town of uh, Radetz Kralove in the Czech Republic, about 100 kilometers east of Prague. I am Dirk S. and uh, you might know me from the YouTube chat room on a Friday evening. Um, we are here and we, that's me and my beautiful girlfriend Sylvia, we are here for a reason and as you might guess it is an aviation related reason because my girlfriend will have a very special aviation event later today. Uh, so stay tuned for more. Hello, welcome back. We are now at the Radetz Kralove airport, which you can see in the background. So there's one of the back gates. Uh, we are way ahead of time. So uh, I thought it might be time for a quick interview because what's happening now in about an hour is that she is going to have a ride in a MiG-15 fighter jet from the 1950s. And uh, it was her present to her 40th birthday, which I hope I can say. And uh, so I'm now gonna ask her a few questions. So, are you looking forward to it? Yes, but I'm also a little nervous. You're nervous, okay, why is that so? I'm keen to know how it will feel like. It's all about that, and I think it will be quite intense. Uh, yes, I believe it'll feel intense too. What do you think will be the most intense part? I guess the takeoff and when the aircraft pulls up after a dive. Yeah, you're definitely going to feel the acceleration and the g-forces. Yes. Are you afraid of something in particular, or do you have any concerns? I'm a little afraid to become sick in the air. Could that happen? I've uh, not been on a roller coaster for a long time now. I don't know, but I'm actually not really afraid. What were your thoughts when you realized what your birthday present was? I actually realized it quite late, what is going to happen, especially when we switch to the MiG-15, which is something really special. Even when you tell friends and colleagues what you are going to do, the reaction was either wow or what is that? I also don't know anyone who has flown in a MiG-15 yet. And that's why I think it's a very special and wonderful present and I'm looking forward to it. So uh, we're going to translate it afterwards and uh, let's see. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to have some footage ready for you guys. Uh, so uh, see you then. So as you can see, we just pushed it out of the hangar by hand. And oh my God, look at this beauty. Isn't she amazing? I can't stop smiling. Although I won't be flying on it. 
I, I couldn't, I wouldn't survive it. Like, I'll get sick in about 10 seconds. Wow. <laughs> the front seat is for the pilot, you know?
smiling. Looks like everything's fine. Let's see. So you tell me she can take 5G without problem? 5G? No problem. <laughs> no problem. Because is here, is ready. No yeah, 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 she's fine. She's smiling, she's laughing. So we're back in the car. How did you do Wie war's? Aufregend. Krass. Schön. Schön, alles. No words for that. I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, Sylvia looks so relaxed about the whole thing, doesn't she, really? Um, Dirk has very kindly also given us some uh, stills that he took of the day as well, uh, which shows you some, some different angles of the aircraft. Um, it's being prepared. We were saying when we were doing that, when it was coming down the runway, weren't we? That it, you know, it looks like it's got its prop missing, you know, at the mm. front there. Like it's just like, I mean, what an experience that is. I mean, she seemed quite sort of almost emotional in the car, didn't she? Off the back of that, I mean, Jonathan yeah. Warner is very impressed. Yeah, he's absolutely. in the room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Matt, yeah. You, you you were saying that you, you wanted to be in the front. <laughs> Yeah, you get a better view, wouldn't you? Right. Okay, yeah. I mean, there is that small issue of flying it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, wow, what an experience. I mean, you're never going to forget something like that, are you? That is just, like, mind-blowing. What a great thing. What a great thing. Normally, I say things that money can't buy are really good, but... I think money has changed hands here. Oh, I see. He got to sit. He got to sit in the front. There he is. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. He sat in the front oh, briefly. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't do. I, I'd be so jealous not being able to go with him. Yeah. You know that that'd just be so brutal, wouldn't it? Yeah. Thanks Never. for sending that in, Dirk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really yeah. good. Really Very good. good. What an experience. What an experience. What a selfless gift as well. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, that wouldn't be me, I can assure yeah, you. I'll get one for Gemma. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, pigs may also fly. That, that, would, that would go down extremely well. Yeah, yeah, divorce, uh, I think, closely follow. A yeah. substantial amount of money has been yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if it came yeah. with, a, with a Gucci handbag, she'd probably right. be fine. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Or a divorce. Or a div yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so yeah. swiftly on before we were, stuck, we're running out of time quickly here, we're going to quickly do the caption this uh, for this week. Okay. Uh, we did do a caption this on our Facebook page. For those you don't know every week we try and put a picture up on a wednesday uh, for you to leave your witty comments on this week matt will pop the picture up on the screen for those of you who uh, haven't seen it yet uh, this was the picture in question it's a military special one this week especially <laughs> means armando is not here with us and uh, for That's those ridiculous. for those of you listening uh, in the world of audio land this is um I, I, it's a c-130 hercules Doing air-to-air -air refueling with a microlite. Yes, yes, that's not not really something I expected. Yeah, for for starters, the fuel intake's around the back. 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah. I was just thinking about the prop wash from the Hercules. Right, might be okay. an issue with this yeah, yeah, yeah. aircraft. But um, <laughs> we had some great comments on the picture this week. First one I'm going to kick off, this one's from John. And he says, in this week's military section, retired C-130 and Osprey pilot Armando talks to us Air Force US do or talks a US Air Force student pilots about the benefits of cost saving of Air Force <laughs> pilot training and how pilots are learning to look up out low radar reflection patterns in their early training. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. What's Bill got, Nev? Uh, Bill says uh, Tanker four three four. This might be too much information for you, but there's no human way my probe will reach and fill that receptacle. <laughs> Matt, go on, Matt. Uh, Matt Smith for this one. Oh, you've got the thing. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> A320, Matt, go on. <laughs> uh, we've got Bernard that says, is that the unleaded pump? Uh, Steve is saying, Captain Nick attempts to relive his Hornet days oh, no. from episode 414. <laughs> right, okay, very good. Uh, <laughs> Nev? Uh, Gary says, uh, thank God my Red Bull's arriving. Gives you wings, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt. Uh, Bill says David Attenborough voiceover. Female Hercules photographed just after spawning a new baby. <laughs> very good, Matt. That's very good. Oh, very good. Bravo. Bravo. Yes. Very good. More like Alan Wicker. Actually. Okay. Right. And <laughs> that'll do. Yeah. Norman says it's okay, Bill. I'll get your hearing aid for you. Oh, right. Yeah, I suppose it would be a bit breezy. Yeah. Tad. Just yeah, a tad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Adams in the chat room is saying, uh, two litres of unleaded, please. <laughs> and Mark on WhatsApp is saying, gyrocopter to Herc, can you speed up a bit, please? <laughs> <laughs> so don't forget, if you want to comment on the witty pictures that we post on our Facebook page, don't forget to check us out on Facebook uh, when uh, I post these on a Wednesday, normally about a Wednesday, uh, for you to leave your comments on, and we'll read the best ones out on the show, live on the show. So it's time to start to wrap up the show then. Social media links. Nev, where can everyone across the globe find us on the social medias? Yes, you can go to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and just search for Plain Talking UK. You can send us your pictures or comments to our WhatsApp number, plus 44-757-224-9166. That's plus 44-757-224-9166. Email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is all the W's, plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can also sub subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help to shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as so many people have done so uh, on that uh, you can also go to our website and use the amazon link so if you do your shopping through amazon you can do it through the website and we get paid a, a small referral fee also you can also become a patreon uh, and you can donate uh, Whatever money you would like to do so, and that, that's not a prerequisite, you can do so if you wish, and that helps us keep the show on the road. Uh, have a look at the website for that. That's www.plaintalkinguk.com. So before we go, uh, Matt, obviously, you've uh, have you been doing much flying and stuff lately? Yes, a fair bit. Um, I've been, as I said earlier, been down to the Canaries in what I would call long haul. I've been doing a fair bit of long haul lately, <laughs> which for us is... Uh, between four and five hours. Oh, blimey, Fred. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that's not, not a proper long haul. Exactly. Yeah, because even what, I wouldn't call that long haul, and I don't like that's, it. <laughs> that's my long haul. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. So very busy. Busy off uh, well on the ground as well with a lot of training stuff I've been doing. So, yeah. 
Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Have you been, any sort of projects on the go at the moment? Uh, well, I've been concentrating a lot on um, doing these command upgrade courses. So a lot of pilots that have got their commands coming up, yep. I coach them and get them ready for their upgrade course. So being quite busy with doing that at the moment, a lot of airlines around the world are recruiting at the moment and wow. having to promote first officers to captains so yeah wow. been pretty busy doing very that. busy yeah sounds amazing cool hi nev what are you up to this week anything exciting um no i'm pleased to say um <laughs> a little bit of driving but no flying this week so i'm i'm actually quite grateful for that because it was a bit tiring this week yeah, I'll say, but yeah I'll just some local bits and pieces this week oh, um, dear how would you cope <laughs> absolutely carlos what about you off down to kent on monday this Monday coming wow. okay. in the truck with a full load of uh, stuff to go into a, nice. a big shop, which will be a nice drive, hopefully, as long as it's not raining, of well, course. Well, yes, that's but, true. Uh, that's true. And a 50th birthday tomorrow. Oh, wow. Just lovely. for a change. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, and next week I will be mostly lying in because uh, I can uh, for the first time in two weeks. So that's going to be quite nice. Uh, the, the lovely Jono's back on the radio, so I get to have a bit of a lie in. But I'm on the radio seven till ten tomorrow. You're on ten till one, aren't you? There you go. You, yeah. Right. So that is where we're going to bring episode 434 of the show to a close. Big thanks to everyone who's tuned in tonight through YouTube. Some new viewers in there welcome to you to the podcast family thanks for tuning in we'll be back next friday on the show at seven o'clock so don't forget to tune in yep. next week on the show so from me and matt i can't believe i'm saying this from me and matt here in the ptuk studios from nev across in his studio and from matt in his home studio as well have a great weekend take care and we'll see you next week take bye care everyone bye bye bye, bye. bye. bye.